you know, we're driving through the city and Tony Bennett's playing, and I said, you know, I can't, I can't listen to this. It's a little too mellow. If I'm going to really take us over the bridge, I need a little goose. And now it's time to play it back. I'm Gia Jung. And I'm John Asante. Hello there, and welcome to the sophomore episode of Play It Back the show where we talk about songs we love, hate, and appreciate. Here, our guests share their hopes, fears, dreams, and realizations as they've played out through that one special song in their lives, whether it was found by sneaking listens to those CDs with the parental advisory label on it, or finally asking the owner of a dusty shop what song was playing on the radio. So, Gia, how'd you find today's guest? Well, I was over at QED in Astoria, Queens, at a storytelling event, and this guy from Dorchester, Mass, was talking about some craziness happening on the Golden Gate Bridge over San Francisco, and he was 25 years old and kind of going through stuff. So, what you know, when you're in your mid-20s, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Well, you know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to spoil anything, but having been there in the Bay Area, both physically and metaphorically... I instantly related to the themes he was bringing up. You know, of that weird desolation of youth, grief deferred, ride or die friendship, just wild crazy behavior of throwing life itself to the wind. So yeah, let's just say that when I heard our guest telling his story, I just knew he was our guy. Here he is. Hi, I'm Adam Lin. I am the author of a novel, American Sexy. I had always harbored a secret dream of moving to the West Coast, California, and I always figured I'd be more of a San Francisco guy than a a Los Angeles guy, say. And so when I was a teenager, I had a dream of going to Stanford. I thought Stanford would really fulfill everything I needed in terms of my California dream. It's really hard to get into Stanford, and I wasn't necessarily sure that I would get into Stanford, and so I worked really hard to try and get into Stanford. Against all odds, I did get into Stanford. Whoa. And most parents would give you know, one of the, like, the less necessary organs to have their kid get into Stanford, <laughs> like the lung or the kidney or the liver or something, right? And like my mom flipped out and absolutely did not want me to go. And was like, you want to move to San Francisco? You know, you know what happens to people who move to San Francisco? They join a cult, they get hooked in heroin, they jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And oh my God. I remember standing in my grandparents' dining room with her and my mom holding the Stanford, uh, the big envelope in her hand. Because when you get in, you get the big envelope and yeah. you get the little envelope when you get rejected. But, and being so mad because I'd worked so hard to do this. And uh, essentially I found out my family just figured I'd never get in. So they never gave me a hard time about it. And it wasn't the only factor. I actually went and looked at the school and figured out that I really am a very East Coast person deep down. So I didn't go, but I still had it in my heart that I wanted to go to fill, fulfill some kind of destiny to move out to San Francisco. And so when I did move there after mm-hmm. college, my mom ran around told, telling everyone that uh, I hadn't actually quit my job moved to San Francisco. I was just going on a short vacation. Uh-huh. So <laughs> wait, you did college on the East Coast then? I did. Okay, and then you were working a job I was actually working in Washington and Mm -hmm. I really didn't want to do that and a friend of mine called me who was a roommate from college and he's like you got to move to San Francisco and I said I can't I don't have a job there's no way that I can just up and do that and he called me back like an hour later 
because he had found a roommate on Craigslist in the 90s in San Francisco who turned out to be a speed freak. Surprise, surprise. Oh. Right? So he was like desperate to get someone he knew out there. He's like, I think I found your job where I'm working. And I got in touch with this woman who was from Boston. And she said, oh, really? Uh, I described a little bit my, about myself. I said I had a degree in economics, uh, that I was blind, but that I was really willing to work. And she said, oh, just get out here and as soon as you can, I'll get you a job. She didn't have to ask me twice. But when I got there, there was a hiring freeze, and so there was no job. And what I didn't take into account at the time, what I, as a kid, I don't think you give enough credence to, is that, like, my own dad had taken off when I was a kid, when I was about two. I never knew him. And he had gone to San Francisco. Oh. And while he didn't you know, join a cult or jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, he definitely did a lot of drugs and kind of dropped out of society pretty much forever. Do you think it, it was part of the mystique, too, or strange? I think so, yeah. right? I think yeah. that I don't think you, there is no past, right? I think that we're always living in some kind of continuum in our family history and what our parents did or didn't do, and uh, super close to my grandfather. And he died in 1996 uh, when I was living in Washington, D.C., and that's when I felt very unmoored. Until you said that, I hadn't even really put it all together, but... Yeah, for me to jump on a plane and move out to San Francisco, like, you know, a couple of months after my grandfather's death, I mean, I was a completely different person. I mean, I was, when my grandfather died, I was, I mean, he like carried me through high school to get into college. I mean, he was just such a mentor and such a rock in my life that to have him pass, I mean, I still am upset about it. You know, I mean, I still think about him fondly all the time. So back then... I don't even think I realized the level of my own grief. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I sure had a lot of emotion around that. Although I'd done everything in my power to not go out there and... Uh, like a floater. Lost soul, a floater, uh, the type of person who moves out to San Francisco and has no roots and is not connected. It's totally what I found myself being when I got there. I got a part-time job teaching uh, blind kids how to use uh, technology but it didn't pay very well, and it was n- not a very consistent job. So it paid mm-hmm. the rent, but that was about it. You know, so there I am in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I was pretty lost. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think of going back east or going back home? I couldn't. Uh, not quickly, anyway. I mean, eventually I did. Years later I did, mm-hmm. but I just... Come on, you're young, you have some pride. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was just no way. And there was nothing then to go back to. What was mm-hmm. I going to do, move home? I mean, I'd quit my job. And so here you were, and then your friend Tim, uh, was he a buddy in the area? Or? Tim was a friend of mine from Boston who is actually uh, in law enforcement, was a policeman. And so we'd known each other when we were younger. We'd kind of gone our own ways. Really kind of a surprise out of the blue. As soon as I moved to California, he showed up and wanted to hang out. And so he and I had been friends for years, and I'd actually driven his car. He had like a, an old muscle car convertible. I have to ask how you learned to drive in the first place. Well, he showed me. Yeah, Tim, you see, when we were teenagers, Tim mm-hmm. showed me on his, he had like a GTO convertible muscle car. Uh-huh. And we... Uh, uh, some uh, summers on Cape Cod, you know, we'd drive it around like beach parking lots, old abandoned roads, 
really quiet spaces though not, not wow. driving in like a major metropolitan area it's not that hard the parking and stuff is quite <laughs> difficult but the, the actual just turning the wheel mm-hmm. i mean he would help me i mean when we we're driving uh-huh. you know he's saying left right left right i'm not just freewheeling it all the way gee. Uh-huh. i mean you know, there, there there is an element of of, of getting some direction my driving experience is limited awesome. to two or three rides with him and then mm-hmm. um we decided to, to take it to the next level, bring it over the Golden Gate. <laughs> so. so how did that go down? So, yeah, so he and I were uh, in the Tonga Room, which I don't know if you have heard of the Tonga Room, but it's a, like a tiki bar that's in the Fairmont Hotel, and it's, it's above and beyond any tiki bar in the world, very 1950s. And Tim is really into kind of cliche movie rat pack, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett. Uh-huh. So he was, you know, listening to a lot of Tony Bennett. Left his heart in San Francisco. In San Francisco. So he wanted to do all that stuff. So he and I were drinking mai tais in this really fifties tiki bar with. Uh, bamboo and fake coconut shells and like there's actually a simulated hurricane that happens and things Mm -hmm. like that i was kind of opening my heart to him saying like listen you know it looks as if you know you think i'm having a great time out here in california but it's really quite hard i moved out here and from back east and maybe it looks great but i'm really struggling and everything and he's just like oh you got to be kidding me you're you've got the world by the tail what are you talking about and I was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm really depressed. He's like, depressed? You, you need to wake up. You're, you've got everything here. And this went back and forth, and he just didn't want to hear my complaining. He said, uh, you, need, you really need like a, a psychic wake-up call. That's what you need. He said, well, let's do some driving. And I hesitated. And he's like, come on, it's a rental. You know? And uh, next thing I know, you know, we're getting up from the table, and I said, okay. So you know, we got down, and I think he's parked out on Mason Street, and I jumped in behind the wheel and he got in and I drove you know us kind of a couple of hundred yards and I thought that was probably plenty and that's when he said uh, you know, let's, let's take this you know, let's really do something let's, if we're going to do this let's make it count you know why don't we drive over the Golden Gate you know we're driving through the city and Tony Bennett's playing and I said you know I can't I can't listen to this it's a little too mellow if I'm going to really take us over the bridge I need a little goose and he said, okay, I got this. And he, and he put in the CD, and I just hear, you know, this orchestra and then a snare hit. When I was a little girl, I had a breakdown. And then Tina Turner, and this is not like private dancer Tina Turner that I knew, like Thunderdome. Now I love you just the way I love that young Tina Turner who's just like muscular sound and it's just pouring out I mean there's no build up to the song it's just she's just just belting it out and it's just like Motown meets uh, Ride of the Valkyries and it's fantastic (laughs) and the windows are down and that cold California San Francisco night air is just rushing through the car like a river and it felt good it's incredible. I kind of suspect he had the idea beforehand, because I think he had his own demons. He was he was he was dealing with his own issues, and so yeah. he was a young guy on the edge. And I, I mean, I think anytime people do things that are like kind of blatantly self-destructive, there's something driving you. Uh-huh. How deep in your subconscious it is, I think it's different for everybody. But did it feel 
uh, kind of destructive when while you guys were driving over the bridge? No. I can speak for myself. I can understand young men doing really dumb things and the shock and horror and awe that everyone thinks, like, how could you do something that dumb? Yeah. Because they are that dumb. And I was certainly that dumb. It it, it does sound pretty cool, though, I have to admit. It was pretty cool. And I now try and, in retrospect, I try and backfill and pretend it wasn't that cool. But (laughs) I have to say, it was pretty cool and it felt pretty liberating. And I think I maybe slightly glibly have said that I kind of considered Tina Turner guardian angel who got us across the bridge in one piece without killing ourselves or somebody else. I mean, there are benefits to kind of rites of passage or kind of vision quest type scenarios. Mm -hmm. And so this was definitely something where, yeah, I'm in a funk and I really can't get out of it. We actually kind of walked outside of convention enough doing this transgressive act and the music was definitely part of that the Mm -hmm. river deep mountain high i mean is forever entwined in you know know, probably a pivotal moment in my life definitely Mm -hmm. so yeah i can't hear the song without connecting it uh, to the ritual do you have like flashbacks if you if you hear the song oh i get chills when i hear the song i I definitely like like the hair on my legs kind of stands up and kind of get a tingle like across the back of my shoulders because like with a lot of things that are fairly scary, I think that you repress fear at the time or whatever. So I, I can give myself a chill anytime I think about it because now I look back and think, well, that was actually pretty scary. So the song brings it back to life. Now I'm, I'm 25 when I hear the song and I'm wearing the same black leather jacket I'd had for years and the air is cold and um, kind of kick, um, you know, lean back in that seat. And I don't really have any other event connected to any other piece of music that would do that. So I'm glad it's that song because it's a pretty great song. So whether you hear it by accident or even if you play it deliberately, do you feel like that? I could play it ten times deliberately, and I feel like that. And it's not a That's song. Incredible. It's not a song I've ever heard by accident. I'm never in a restaurant and just hear that song. I don't, I don't even remember ever hearing that song in a bar. I don't know. It's like that song is like this like secret song. I mean, it's Tina Turner and it's Phil Spector. It's not like so obscure, mm-hmm. but it's just not a song I accidentally encounter. So no, it's definitely something that. I'll put on when I want to evoke that memory in that time. So after that night, what happened? And life is never, it's not like a movie. It's not so neat that you drive across the bridge listening to Tina Turner. And when you get to the other side, you've reached Nirvana. But things did really turn around. I did get the job that I'd gone out to get, uh, working as an options trader on a a trading line. Uh Options and equities trader. And securities trader, you know, working the phones. And it was pretty high stress. It was a lot of fun. Uh, in retrospect, and my, I know my family has said I was really obnoxious about it. I don't really remember all that stuff. I attribute that one night and that just um, going out on the edge and coming back to tell about it kind of opened me up to the idea that I could do anything. There are consequences, and, and you can certainly fail, and I've done a lot of that. But, I mean, if you have a calling, you have to pursue it. If you don't pursue it, it's at your own peril, put it that way. So I ended up leaving San Francisco eventually and coming to New York, which I think I always thought would be my spiritual home, and became a filmmaker. What about your friend Tim? What became of him after that night? That's very interesting, because 
yeah, after we did that ride, he turned around and came out to me essentially as being gay. Whoa. Yeah, right? Which was a pretty big surprise, you know, and and I realized that you know, I mean, he's in a tough spot. He's a policeman and his family were a long line of policemen and everything. Uh-huh. But, mm-hmm. You know, there are still pockets of places where it's easier or harder than others. And so for him, it was definitely a challenge. Uh-huh. So I have a lot of respect for his struggle and his journey. So I think there was an element of self-destruction or also just an element of certainly needing to like maybe and not to get too psychoanalytical here or whatever, but like, I don't know, destroy the self to like become the new self. I mean, there's some kind of, there's some... Destroy the ego. Yeah, there's some kind of Joseph Campbell here Mm -hmm. with a thousand faces in here somewhere where he needed to, you know. I just wonder um, if he has similar associations with the song, like if he gets uh, the hairs... That's funny. I I don't know if he does have with the song. I know know Uh recently a friend, a uh, mutual friend was telling me that he was telling the story all over the place. So I was glad (laughs) to think that it wasn't some kind of like fever dream that I'd had that, you know, I was glad, I was glad that I, in my back pocket, I have Tim to back me up if I ever need it. That's awesome. Even if you live in New York, have you done any driving since? Uh, no, that that was not it. at all. That was it, Gia. Oh, the wow. Golden Gate Bridge, and I, I hung it up, and I'm done until I get Damn. a Google car. Um, wow. I thought it'd be good. I would like to work for Google, and like when they have uh-huh. the car working, I want to take it across the bridge. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that would be crazy. I'll do that. You know? Yeah. But uh, well, that might not be so far off. You know, you know exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I was 25. That was a long time ago. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I've come a long way since then. So. Yeah, and not feeling like I want to risk anyone else's safety, let alone my own. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thank you, Adam Lynn, for taking us on your wild ride. Adam's website is adamlin.com. That's L-I-N-N. There you can find, acquire, and read his book, American Sexy, get the scoop on his speaking engagements, and be first to look at autobiographical essays that are on the way from him. Play It Back is produced by me, Gia Jung. And me, John Asante. Amos Rose composed our groovy theme music. Shout out to Amos. We hope you dig it as much as we do. If you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud for future episodes. We're also on Facebook at Play It Back and Twitter at Play It Back Radio. If you're eager to learn more about Ike and Tina Turner's River Deep Mountain High or more about our lovely guest, Adam Lynn, head over to our website at playitbackradio.tumblr.com. And what about you? Do you have a story about how a song made its mark on your life? or any thoughts you'd like to share with us about your music memories, about the show, holler at your friends John and Gia, with a J, at playbackradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.